Well, good morning, High Point. Thank you for being here today. Those in person, those who are joining us online, we're so glad to have you here. I also want to take a moment and thank Pastor Anthony, who's up in the sound booth, for filling in last week while I was away. That's okay. You can give Anthony a round. I went to Phoenix to visit my mother, who was ill. I'm grateful uh, for the time we were able to spend together, and I'm also thankful for the many prayers from you uh, for my mom and also for safe travels for me. And I would just ask that you continue to keep my mom in your prayers, as well as my brother Charlie, his wife Deb. They are her caretakers and uh, going through a challenging time right now. So I appreciate those prayers. Thank you very much. I also want to quickly remind you that if we do not have your email address, after the service, you can go to the table in the foyer and you can pick up your year-end giving statement for tithes and offerings that you paid to High Point. Uh, there will be board members out there that can serve you. If you haven't picked that up, please do so today if you can. Also, if you have decided to participate in one of the three giving challenges that I brought to you uh, two weeks ago, either the 90-day challenge, tithe challenge, or becoming or continuing to be a kingdom builder, or participating in our initiative to resurface our parking lot when the weather breaks, uh, you can drop those commitment cards and the offering receptacles in the foyer on each side. If you forgot them today, that's okay. Please try to bring them with you next week if you can. It helps us as a board to know how to plan for the future uh, and where we're heading. And if you're glad the announcements are over, you can say amen. Yeah. yeah, I don't enjoy doing those either, but they have to be done. Hey, I'm glad to be back with you. I'm excited today because we are going to complete our series from the, uh, the, our New Year series that we have titled A New Thing. The title comes from Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, which is our theme scripture as a church for 2021, where God emphasizes three separate things. He says, forget the former things. He says, do not dwell on the past. And then he says, I am doing a new thing. And you know what I love about the new year is that it provides every one of us with a, with a fresh starting point. The new year is always a great time for change. It's a perfect time for God to bring about something new within your life. This series that we're in, it comes from the Old Testament book of Malachi. In fact, uh, you can go ahead and turn there, if you would, to Malachi chapter 3 in preparation for what we're going to read. And while you're doing that, let me remind you that it is within this book that the prophet Malachi has been urging Israel to reestablish God's standard of excellence. And in a sense, that's what I'm urging all of us to do in this series here in the new year, to play your part by intentionally raising God's standard of excellence in your personal life and to begin to seek God with all that you are. Because whenever you do this, in essence, you are inviting God or you are literally opening a, opening a door for him to do something new within you. And so I propose to you today that whenever you raise your personal level of, of, of worship, uh, the standard of worship, uh, of trust, of obedience to God, whenever you position God in his rightful place, and that is on the very throne of your life, you will experience something new and exciting in your relationship with him. And as I've said before, when we talk about this new thing, please understand this is not new for God. It's just new for us because perhaps for the very first time, we've yielded ourselves completely to his will and to his purposes for our lives. And when we do this, he can 
and he will work in and through you, in and through each of us in much greater ways. Let's do a quick review of where we have been so far. In week one, we talked about raising the standard of excellence in our spiritual commitment. We talked about how we are to bring God our best, our very best, and not our leftovers, because we serve a God who gave his very best when he sent Christ Jesus. In week two, we talked about raising the standard of relational excellence, and, and we discussed making good on our commitments and keeping our promises, because we not, we not only serve a promise-making God, but we serve a promise-keeping God. In week three, we talked about raising the financial standard through our stewardship, through our giving to the work of the Lord and how God blesses those who give with a cheerful heart and to those who steward the resources that he provides them with integrity. And so today as we close, we're going to talk about raising the moral standard, raising the moral standard of excellence in our personal lives. As we have read, there is a lot going on in Israel during Malachi's day, and it wasn't good. The standard of excellence was, had been greatly diminished in the lives of God's people. And that is why God used Malachi. He wanted him to help to bring the people back to a place where they were honoring God in their daily lives. He wanted for them to follow the spiritual standards of excellence that he had set forth for them years before. So to set the scene for today's message, to understand the specific problem that was occurring that we're gonna talk about today, let me paint some kind of a picture for you this morning. Imagine me driving into this parking lot on one Sunday morning and observing a couple hundred of you kind of staging a protest with signs and megaphones, and the signs that you were carrying written on them were statements like this, it is useless to follow Jesus, or Christ followers finish last. And maybe you were even singing songs about how you felt like Jesus abandoned you. Can you imagine how discouraging that would be to somebody like me? Here I am, your pastor. I love you. I, I try to lead you into a deeper faith in Christ and to see you protesting and speaking and singing these kinds of words. Well, to put it mildly, it would literally break my heart. It's outrageous to think about, but that's almost exactly what was happening in Malachi's day. A group who claimed to be God-fearing people were saying some pretty ridiculous things about God. Now, they might, they might not have been publicly protesting with signs and bullhorns and all of that, but they were certainly complaining and they were certainly holding on this kind of a dialogue between one another. So I want to read together Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 and 15. I'll be reading from the New International Version. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along. It'll be on the screen behind me. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. In essence, what they were saying in Malachi's day was it doesn't pay to honor God by living a pure and a moral and an excellent life. 
We see people who are living on the wild side of life and they appear to be prospering while as we try to honor God, what do we get? We get the short end of the stick. Now imagine how Malachi felt. Here he is, the prophet of God that has been sent to reestablish standards of excellence among God's people. He's been sent to raise the standards spiritually, relationally, financially, and now morally, and this is the underlying attitude of many of the people, God's people. And we'll we'll read his response to the crowd in just a minute, but before we do, can we just be honest with each other this morning? By admitting that from time to time, those kinds of thoughts have crossed all of our minds. Certainly, we're probably not going to carry a sign or, or be a part of a public protest, but we have at one time or another had similar thoughts. Whenever things weren't going our way, whenever we suffered a major financial setback, whenever we were experiencing a major health issue, whenever our children were wayward, or there was a lot more month left with no money to cover that month. We see people living on the wrong side of life. They seem to be getting away with it and doing just fine, thank you very much. Well, here I am meticulously serving God and and I'm struggling and I'm having a hard time. How can this be? The truth is these kinds of thoughts have crossed all of our minds at one time or another. I want to read a scripture to you that is very important to me personally. And I can remember specific times in my life when I needed to read this scripture because I needed to remind myself of why I am doing what I'm doing why I have chosen to serve the Lord and to put him first in my life. It's found in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. It'll be up on the screen. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction." That's a powerful scripture that I think we all need to base our lives upon as well as be encouraged by. I mean, to lead a morally excellent life in the power of the Holy Spirit and to make wise moral choices will simply said, that is God's way of doing things. And the truth is, according to this scripture, life for people who make other choices is going to be difficult. And yet there's this natural tendency for us to look at other people we know when we come away with a different perspective. I'm being very honest with you when I say that there have been times in my life when I've had thoughts like this. If following God fully promises great favor and blessing in a person's life, then why are so many uncaring, selfish, ungodly people flourishing, or at least appear to be flourishing? Why are so many immoral human beings seeming to succeed or appear to succeed on the outside. I know of people in business who were just plain crooked. 
They cooked the books. They lied about their income. They constantly hid their assets to avoid paying taxes. They overpromise and underdeliver to their customer base. And yet it seemed like they're making money hand over fist. I know of husbands who have cheated on their wives and wives who are cheating on their husbands and there was lying and there was infidelity going on within that, that home, a home that lacked true love. And yet many of them had the most well-adjusted kids in the world. They were honor roll students, never having a problem. It appeared to me like they weren't paying for their misbehavior. I've seen people abuse their bodies through alcohol and drug abuse. And every time they went in for a medical checkup, they came out clean as a whistle. I don't get it. To complicate matters, I've seen modern-day saints... Eagle Scouts for the Lord, if you will. I'm talking about championship Christ followers, people who are meticulously following the teachings of the Bible. And some of these people were experiencing major trials and major difficulties, financial hardship, marital struggles, heartbreak with their children, medical problems. And early on in my faith, I secretly wondered, does following Jesus really pay? Is there any real benefit associated with leading a clean and a moral life? Does it pay to devote my life to God? Now, before you stone me or point fingers at me, I'd just like to say that no one struggled with this issue more than the writer of Psalms. I want you to listen to these words from Psalm 73, 3 through 9. It'll be up on the screen. You can follow along. This is the New Living Translation. The reason I chose it because there's a statement in here I really like. For I envied the proud... When I saw them prosper despite their wickedness, they seem to live in such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their heart could ever wish for. Can you tell that's the line I liked? (laughs) That's true. That's why I chose this. I love that translation. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. He goes on like this for several other verses until he finally asks the question that many of us have asked, and it's found in verses 13 and 14. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep my innocent, myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. He says, people living on the wild side are getting away with murder. And those of us who are trying to fear and honor God are experiencing trouble and difficulty and loss. It doesn't pay. But then comes the hinge point on which this entire passage turns in verse 17 when this is what it says. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. He's saying I couldn't sort all this out without worshiping first. And there, while he worshiped, God revealed two principles to him. And that's really what I want to share with you with the time that we have left. I want to show you that how living a morally and a spiritually pure life really pays off. And the first principle that the psalmist learned is what I'm going to call the slippery rock 
principle. You know, there's a place in Arizona called Slide Rock. And like the name would suggest, it's, one, it's a big natural rock with, with water and you can slide down it. And it's a whole lot of fun. I've been there. But there are also rocks just beneath the surface of the water that are covered with that slimy, slippery moss stuff. And despite the signs that are posted that tell people, don't walk on the slippery rocks, inevitably you'll see someone trying to beat the system. They'll cross the stream very, very carefully, choosing one stepping stone to another. Partway across, they start to get confident in their ability, and so they take a giant leap from one stone to the next, and their foot slides across that rock, and I think you know the rest of the story. It has to do with the splash and a very sore bottom side when you're done. And the moral of the story is those who walk on moss-covered rocks long enough will eventually end up in the drink. And the psalmist is pulling his hair out trying to figure out how these people who don't care about God, people who are cutting moral corners, people who are shading the truth, people who are cheating the system, sleeping in the wrong beds, abusing their bodies, how can these people be faring so well? They seem to be prospering. Not only do they seem to be prospering, but they seem to be setting records. How are they getting away with all of this if there is a holy God running this universe? Well, God gives the psalmist a partial explanation in verse 18. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. God tells the psalmist, don't envy people walking on slippery rocks or their lives because they are just one moss-covered rock away from falling. It may appear to you as the casual observer that they're doing well, but these people are in deep moral trouble. They are just one step away from disaster. And furthermore, when they fall, their lives are going to be shattered. It's only been in the last 25 years or so that I've really gained perspective on this slippery rock principle. I guess I've had to live a certain amount of years uh, to see for myself that people who keep walking on the slippery uh, stones in an immoral lifestyle will eventually, guess what? They pay a huge price. My father used to say, if you're going to dance, you got to pay the fiddler. That was a southern saying. My family was from the south, but what he meant by that was there are consequences to everything that you do. And I have come to learn that most of the people that I used to think were getting away with something, they ended up having to pay the piper. Those who were leading immoral lives and who, who they thought were too clever and too smooth to get found out, well, guess what? They got exposed. They got burned on this slippery rock principle. I could tell you of a man I know in Phoenix. He was kind of a financial high roller. He marketed products on television commercials. But when you signed up for his product, you were caught in a trap. Unknowingly to you, when you gave your credit card number, you received everything new that his company came out with, and it was just shipped to you, and you never requested it, and it was a very difficult process to get off that list. People would be charged and shipped items that they never wanted or asked for, and people had a great deal of time and spent a great deal of time 
And sometimes money for legal help and services to get them freed from this obligation, far from canceling their credit card so that nothing could be charged to them. I couldn't believe that this guy was getting away with this until one day he slept, stepped on a slippery rock. He's not flying so high anymore. He's a broken man. He has legal problems and lawsuits. He's served prison time. For a while, he was the talk of the town. Everybody in Phoenix knew who this guy was. Articles were written by him. Millions of dollars being made. But the slippery rock principle brought him down. I could tell many stories of people who lived in raw defiance of God and appeared to be getting away with something year after year, sexually, relationally, ethically, morally, financially, physically. But the day finally came when the rock was just a bit too slippery and they shattered their life. So what is the lesson for all of us to learn here? Don't walk on slippery stepping stones. Stay away from those moss-covered rocks. Return to a God-centered moral and ethical life. Go back to the moral high ground and say, God, there's going to be no more shortcutting on my, my half. No more cutting corners. No more double talk. No more exaggeration. No more gray areas in my business dealings. I want every word, every thought, every deed to be beyond reproach. I don't want to get off the slipper. I want to get off the slippery rocks. I want to get back on the moral high ground, walking with you fully, wholly, and completely. No more slippery stone walking for me. A couple of years ago, before I came here from, from Phoenix, as you know, I was on staff at Phoenix First Assembly, and a well-known pastor showed up to our church. And naturally, I was curious why he wasn't up on the stage preaching, but instead was sitting in the congregation. I was curious why he wasn't at his megachurch that morning. He had been a rising star within our denomination. Come to find out he had experienced a moral failure. And just to let you know, if you have a moral failure as a pastor in our denomination, you lose your ministerial credentials and you must go through a two-year restoration process. And that restoration process includes no preaching, no teaching, no leadership, you sit in the pew and you go to a church that you are assigned and you are encouraged and restored by the pastor and the staff of that church. In addition to the district officials, you have to write papers. You have to give updates on what your life is, what you've learned through all of this. It's a long process. And sadly, only about 10% of the pastors in our denomination who have moral failures go through this process. They just walk away. We were the church that he was to be restored in. And he shared with me his heart-wrenching story of how he failed and how his actions wrecked his family and his church. It was a tragedy. It all started when he began to see his success. He became intoxicated by his status, by the power that he had in this big church. He was the talk of the town. He was the hotshot pastor whose church was growing at an unprecedented rate. But he started walking on the slippery rocks he started to be in an inappropriate relationship with a woman in his church. It started with counseling, and it ended with closed-door sessions. And things got out of hand, and lines were crossed. And the truth came out, and he lost everything. 
And as he talked, you could see the tears of regret rolling down his face over what he had put his wife and his children through and all of the public scrutiny and all of the newspaper headlines. And yes, even a lawsuit came out of this. There were tears over losing the church that he had put so much of his time and energy and effort into, as well as the many relationships that he lost that would be no longer. There were tears of regret that he actually thought that he was above falling in the way that he did that he thought that he could get away with it. And I'm glad to have played a part in his restoration process, to have earned his trust, to have had time to pour into his life because he was restored. He has his ministerial credentials back. He has healed the destruction he created within his family. And he's back in ministry. And he's doing a wonderful job. But I might add, he's doing it with an entirely different perspective, an entirely different approach. But more importantly than anything, he vividly understands how quickly someone can fall and lose everything. And if he were to stand before you today and be able to talk to you, or if the psalmist could, or if old Malachi could, I think that these three guys would say in perfect unison, get off the slippery rocks right now. Don't take one more step on a moss-covered rock. You think you can get away with it but you're gonna fall on the next one. People who walk on slippery rocks eventually wind up in the drink, so turn around. And the Lord would say to you this morning, let's go back to higher ground. I'll forgive you for what you've, on, you've done so far, but come on back. Don't blow your life up over this. And I'm confident as I've been speaking over the last few minutes, that we've all reflected on a time when we too were walking on slippery rocks. Perhaps some of you are thinking about the slippery stones that you're walking on even now. And you know, these slippery stones are different for all of us. For some, it's financial. For others, it's relational. For some, it's sexual. For others, it's pride and arrogance. For some, it involves manipulation. For others, it involves abuse, being abusive to people. Some of us deal with being a workaholic, while others deal with addictions and strongholds. We won't identify it as such, but that's exactly what it is. And some of us watch filth on the internet and on our cable television that is just plain wrong. And I don't know what it is for you, but you know when you were walking on slippery sto stones, and so do I. And I want to ask you this morning, will you get off the slippery stones and go back to the firm moral ground? Will you take God's hand? Will you walk towards moral excellence with his help and his power? Will you begin to live a clean life once again? Friends, don't let your life be wrecked by walking on slippery rocks. Get your feet back on the solid ground. Well, the second principle that the psalmist learned is the final destination principle. And stay with me on this because what I'm going to say is completely counterintuitive, but it's important for you to grasp. As we have talked about the danger of walking on these slippery stones and subsequently falling hard, you may go through a scandal, you may go through an embarrassment of a bankruptcy or even spend some time in jail or, or in prison. But perhaps the greatest danger 
is actually getting away with your secret misbehavior your entire life. Fooling your family, fooling your friends, fooling your church family. You'll even fool your spouse and carry a sin-twisted secret all the way to your grave. If that happens, the scripture tells us that it doesn't mean that you are home free. Because even if you survive the slippery rocks, and you will not, there's still a final destination principle. There is a day of reckoning where a holy and a just God will settle all moral accounts. And you won't fool God, and you won't slip past his scrutiny, because he has already seen every secret activity. He has already seen every secret thought or motive that you have, and he will have the final say. The Bible says that there is coming a day when all of us will stand before God, who is just, who is holy, and we will give an account for our moral choices. And Malachi ends this little book. In fact, the the Old Testament ends with two fascinating metaphors of what that final day will be like. I want you to go to Malachi chapter 4, flip over to the next chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. It will be up on the screen behind me. Malachi 4, 1 through 3. Surely the day is coming, and here's metaphor number one, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Here's metaphor number two. But as for you who revere my name, The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi says about this first metaphor, think of that final day in this way. The brilliant Middle Eastern sunlight. And he uses this metaphor very creatively here. For those of you who have led immoral lives, who have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your trust in him, you've never asked for his forgiveness, you are not born again, and you have not been made alive in Christ Jesus, when you stand before God on that final day, it will be like what happens when the Middle Eastern sun bakes dry vegetation lying on the ground. It just gets reduced to a pile of scorched ash. It means that you're judged. And Malachi says, those of you who have made moral mistakes, but you've trusted in the Lord Jesus, on that final day, God will have the final say. And he will say, or excuse me, he will say to those who did not make that choice, you wanted to distance yourself from me your entire life. You didn't want me to be a part of any of your moral choices. And he will say to you, therefore, I now give you permission to live apart from me in eternity forever. That's what you wanted in this world, so therefore that's what you are going to get in eternity. And you will be sent to a place where you will be eternally separated from my love, from my grace, from my power, from my presence. And Malachi is saying here, look, I know that this is a sobering word. But you just need to know that on that final day, God will have the final word. In the New Testament, at one point, it says when people realize that they've made such a bad choice, 
and wind up in a horrible eternity in hell, completely separated from God forever. They will be so filled with regret that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever thought what that statement means? The regret and the sadness for making the wrong choices when the right and only choice was standing will be so real. And that combined with the knowledge of being eternally separated from God, people will literally be grinding their teeth. Malachi says, but before you go and jump off a bridge, there's a second metaphor of the sun. And I want to explain this to you because this is beautiful. Imagine a little newborn calf. He just spent nine months in his mother's womb. Then he was birthed. And he's getting nursed in this dark, dingy stall of a barn. I want you to imagine that little calf being led out of that dark, dingy barn. And for the first time, he walks out into the brilliant Middle Eastern sun. Even though he has those, those spindly little wobbly legs, what do you think that newborn calf's going to do? It's going to start running around. It's going to start jumping and leaping and thinking, I get to live in this? I get to be all warmed up and dried out by this sun. I get to see this beautiful blue sky. I get to walk on this green grass below me. I get to be out in the air like this. This is amazing. This makes what happened to me back in the womb and back in that barn worth it because I get to live out here in this brilliant, beautiful sunshine. Here's what Malachi is saying. Please get a hold of this. Those of, us, uh, those of us who have come to terms with our immorality, you've been honest to admit that you are a sinner. You've humbled yourself before God. You've invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, and you were born again. And then because of the Holy Spirit's work inside of you, you are striving to live your life the right way. You've strived to stay on the right path. You have tried to live a morally excellent life. Well, minutes after you die, you are going to be in the blazing brilliance of the presence of Almighty God. You know what you're going to say? I get to live here? I get to be here with Almighty God? I get this forever? And then you're going to look back, and you're going to say, every moral struggle that I went through, every temptation that I turned away, every slippery rock that I turned away and walked off of, Every time I said yes to God and no to the power of temptation, I am so glad that I chose to live my life that way. You'll have no regrets. And your reoccurring theme from that day forward will be, it was worth it all. It was worth humbling myself before the Lord. It was worth walking to God, with God, and trying to lead a morally pure life every day. It was worth saying no to sin, not no to compromise, no to dishonesty, no to all of that stuff. It was worth it. Oh, was it ever worth it. I was asked by a man at this church if there was anything he could pray for me about. He said, you're always praying for us, our needs, things that are going on. What can I pray for you about? And my response was, and has always been whenever I've been asked that question, among other things, is please pray for me for wisdom and discernment. 
Because I need to know how to lead the people of this church and in this community within God's standards of excellence. I want to be an effective, spirit-led pastor that can lead you into greater devotion to God so that you can experience him yourself in greater ways than you are today. And while preparing for this message, my spirit was greatly stirred because the Holy Spirit was showing me that there are people here and there are people who are watching online who are on slippery rocks. And he said to me, you've got to fight for them, Pastor David. You've got to contend for their future. And I want to do that right now. Some of you are on slippery rocks and you need to get off of them. Because here's the deal. This is your life. This isn't the pregame show. This is the show. And if you blow this chance, you don't have a second one. And I want to challenge all of you here today to start fresh in this first month of this new year and begin to once again do things God's way. You'll be glad you did every day for the rest of your life and all throughout eternity that you chose to do it God's way. You see, as a pastor, I have conversations with people all the time, daily, about life issues. People experimenting with stuff that they shouldn't be experimenting with. People living on the, the very fringe of sin, playing around with their faith. People being involved in the wrong kind of relationships. People engaging in business practices or having a work ethic that just lacks integrity. People living secret lives that only they know about, or at least they think so, because sin always comes out into the light. It's only a matter of time. And I'm trying to tell you this morning in the best way that I know how to tell you, if you walk on those slippery rocks long enough, you're going to wind up in the drink. And today is your chance to turn things around with a loving Heavenly Father. God is inviting you back to the moral high ground of, this, of his path. He's saying to you this morning, take my hand. Come on back. Let's do things my way. Because when you're walking on God's moral high ground, you have a clean conscience. You don't have to worry about the knock on the door or the phone call or an unexpected text coming through or the wrong person showing up on your doorstep. Or God forbid, law enforcement showing up. You don't want to live that way. And listen, I can only fight for you so much. And there comes a point where each one of us has to begin to fight for ourselves. The final day is coming. I believe that more now than ever. And some of you know you're ready. You said, God, I'm an immoral person. And I will stand before you on the final day knowing that I made some horrible moral choices. I am guilty. But then you'll be able to say, but at one point, I made a conscious decision. I took the whole pile of moral debt and I laid it down at the foot of a bloodstained cross. I accepted the offer of forgiveness that Jesus Christ made for me. And on that day, you know what God will say to you? He'll say, Jesus Christ paid for your moral debts. So it's okay. Come into my kingdom and live with me forever. And you'll be like that newborn calf running around. You'll be saying, I can't believe this. I don't deserve this. Thank God that Jesus paid the price. A holy God is going to have his final say on that day. 
And we're all going to stand before him, guilty of sin. And either you're going to pay for your own moral debt in eternity by being separated from God, or you're going to have Jesus Christ's gift of salvation and his blood applied to your sin. It's one way or the other, my friends. So I beg you, don't walk out these doors today without a Savior. And I beg those of you watching online, don't turn this broadcast off until you have a Savior. Don't finish this day without the promise and certainty that your moral debt has been paid for by the blood of Christ Jesus. Scott, will you come forward and help me to close this down? This morning, I want to give everybody in this place an opportunity to have a time of consecration. To consecrate means to make holy or to dedicate yourself to a higher purpose. And that's really what this message is all about today, to dedicate ourselves to God's standard of morality, to begin to live our lives as directed by God's word and as motivated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But you've got to understand, none of this can happen without Jesus. And through the salvation that he offers that day upon the cross because of his death and three days later because of his resurrection, you have been given the most precious gift you could ever receive. And to receive this salvation, the Bible says that you must believe and you must confess. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the only way to God the Father. He walked this earth. He showed us how to live and love. He showed us how to treat people. And he died a horrendous death on the cross, a horrible death, a brutal death. And the blood that he shed covers or atones for your sin. And all you need to do is ask for him to cover your sin and forgive your sin. And he will. That's the belief part. The confession part is simply saying that in your own way, in a prayer to him. So if there is slippery stone living going on in your life as I speak, if there is habitual sin that is going on, and what you've heard this morning has convicted you, and you want to change, you want that salvation that only Jesus can provide, just laid at the cross today. Give it to Jesus. Clear things up with him before you walk out of here. Pray a personal prayer of belief and confession, and invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Maybe you are a Christian, but you've discovered that maybe you're walking on the fringe of your faith right now. You're involved in lifestyle issues that you know are not pleasing in God's sight. Well, before you have a major fall like my pastor friend did, take the time to reconcile all of this with God today. Ask for forgiveness for those things. Recommit your life to Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen you through these areas of weakness to victory. And pray to the Lord this commitment. As for me individually, Lord, I will serve you. I will live my life in a moral and an ethical and a Christ-like way. I will raise the standard of spiritual excellence in my personal life. And I will bring honor to my God and my King for what he has done for me. You know, since the COVID restrictions, we really haven't been having altar calls because we could not socially distance people that way. We've been praying from our seats, and that's okay. 
God can listen to you whether you are standing or kneeling, whether you're here at home, whether you're in your car, whether you're at work, doesn't matter where you're at, God hears when you call out to him. But this morning is such a crucial morning because throughout this series, my desire is that we as a people individually and as a church, we would reset the standard of spiritual excellence in our lives for this upcoming new year. So this morning, I want to open this altar to anybody who might want to come and kneel here. I believe that there is something powerful that happens when you get up from your seat and you don't care what anybody else is thinking and you walk down to this altar and you bring your need. It may be that you're living on slippery stones right now. It may be that you see yourself going in that direction and you want to pull away. It may be because you need healing in your life. It may be because you just want to thank God for his goodness. But I believe that there is something special that happens when we come to the altar. That's why up until COVID, we had an altar call every day at this church. It's just what we do. It gives you an opportunity to spend some time with the Lord. So I want to open the altar up. And if you want to come down, come on down now. It's an outward expression of your faith and belief in what God can do in your life. If you don't want to come down, then the rest of us, we can pray from our seats. And that's exactly what we're going to do. I want you to stand to your feet if you would while those are still coming down to the front here. It's okay. You can still come down if you want. I'll wait for you. Thank you for your obedience to the Lord. All these people are kneeling at the altar. You can continue to pray as long as you want. I want to lead all of you who are standing in a word of prayer. I don't want you to listen to me pray. I want you to pray yourself from your heart to the Lord, whatever it is that's on your heart today. Allow him to do a transforming work within you this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that people are the same whether living in 2021 or 2,000 years ago. We get ahead of you. Things start going well. We distance ourselves from you. We start to think we can participate in little actions that will not hurt us spiritually and how deceived we are. And as those bits of deceit build, pretty soon we are completely separated away from you. We still call ourselves a Christian, but we're not living our life at all for you. God, I pray that this year would bring about us raising the standard of excellence in our spiritual life with you. That this body and every one of us independently would cry out to you and say, God, I'm not satisfied where I'm at. I'm not satisfied with the status quo. I know that you have so much more in store for me and I want to experience that. So therefore, Lord, I'm devoting my life to you. I'm going to give you more of my time in worship I'm going to give you more of my time in reading of the word. I'm going to give you more of my time in prayer. Father, I'm going to seek you, and I know I'm going to find you, and you are going to show me things and experiences that I've never had before. Father, I pray everyone would have the courage to pray those kinds of prayers. 
those that are here and online that don't know you, that they would have the courage to say, Jesus, become the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for my moral failures. Cleanse me. Make me a new creation. And Father, your word says that you will. You'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You will make us a new creation. And I thank you for that. And then I ask, Lord, as a church, you would help us to come alongside of these people, to help them to grow, to help them to disciple them in their Christian faith. That's what we're here for. Give us the opportunity to do that this year. Lord, I pray that though we don't know what this year is going to look like, we're hoping and praying it's going to be dramatically different from last year. But as we know, God, you can work miraculously in any condition. It doesn't matter the restrictions. It doesn't matter what the, what the world looks like, what's going on in our country. You are on the throne, and you will have your say. So God, give us the courage to allow you to speak into our lives, that we would give you our all, that we would live our lives according to the precepts found in your word so that we can spend eternity and be like that calf and leap and jump in the gates of heaven and say, this is awesome. And God, though we don't know what that's like, none of us have experienced it. The truth is, if we knew, everyone would be serving you. But God, we have to have faith. And you've given us glimpses in your word, but I don't think any one of us has any idea what heaven is going to be like. And I, for one, want to go there. And I pray that that's the heart's cry of every person in this place and every person watching online. Lord, we need you. We consecrate our lives to you and your purposes. And we ask through your spirit that you would strengthen us and guide us and build us up and make us mighty warriors for the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray as we go our separate ways today that your spirit would guide and direct us, places we go, the things that we do, the conversations that we have. Father, I pray that they would be conversations that build up and not tear down. They would be conversations that create hope. They're conversations that, that encourage. Father, I also pray that you would give each one of us an opportunity to share your goodness with someone this week. That a door would open for us to share your goodness and your love with someone. Because we know that you'll give us the right words to speak when you give us those moments. Father, don't allow us to sit on our hands and keep our mouth shut, but to speak forth the truth of your word. And God, until we meet together again next week, I ask that you would keep us safe. Keep us safe from COVID, from flu, from any other sicknesses or disease that may come upon us. I pray that you will keep us free from accidents, things that might cause us harm. Till we come back together again and worship you together as a family. God, I want to thank you for your presence here today. I want to thank you for your faithfulness to us. I want to thank you that when we get on slippery rocks, all we need to do is to cry out to you and you forgive and you restore and you put us back in our position of knowing that our moral debts have been paid for by your blood. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your spirit that indwells us and strengthens us to become God-loving, God-fearing, righteous men and women of God. That's our desire. I pray that you can fulfill that in each one of our lives on a daily basis and so that we will walk in joy and that we will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we will one day be in your presence 
in that place that you have created for us for eternity. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today. God bless you.